to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. I'm even personally going through the gospel of Luke. And came across this recently and it just really spoke to me. Uh, one night while I was reading it, spoke to me and heard some of you, some of your personal testimonies today and little things that you said before church and during Sunday school and I'm just going to tell you bless me because of your acknowledgement that you focus inward in your self-examination that's a real good thing that matters to God a lot and we're going to look today at a, a person that as I said, has recently really just touched my heart. Reading about her again, we've heard about her. Uh, and then we're going, to ex we're going to compare her to some others, at least one other in the scriptures. And hopefully, we're all believers today. And we're going to want to just give God praise, glory, and honor for what he's done for us. You know, as I preached over the years, my main concern has been to just get the text right. Get, get the meaning, the message right that has been written. You know, in, in my opinion, the only truly inspired part of anything I have to say is simply saying what God has said. That's the inspired word of God. And, you know, when you take the scripture and you look at it, you read it, and you examine it closely. You know, that's the part that really speaks to our soul. That's, that's the part that we, we really walk away with, that impacts our lives and changes our lives from the heart. You may not realize that, but that's really what does the work of God, is the, is the Word of God. So I want to encourage you with that, uh, as you do, continue to, to read. Continue to study the Word of God. When you do that, you're hearing from God Himself. And as I spoke here last time, I shared a word with you, obedience. Obedience literally means to submit, to, to be placed beneath the hearing uh, of God's Word. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? So, so remember that. But in Luke chapter 7... Verse 36, remember this. The one thing you lack. The one thing Jesus said was lacking. And that very one thing that is lacking or has been lacking or did lack, we did lack. I want to explain that very clearly today. Because it's all that matters. It's the number one thing that matters to God. It's the one thing that's going to matter to you. The one thing. And I'm sure you probably already know what that is. But we need to live with a, with a conscious awareness of that fact. Make all the difference in the world. But in verse 36... Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. 
and he entered into the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. This appears to be in, in name, a little village that is south of Nazareth, very close to the town that Jesus grew up in. And Jesus has just recently in, this scripture, in these scriptures raised from the dead a widow's son. At this point in time in Jesus' life on earth, his fame is spreading. His miracles, his teachings, no one else has ever been like him. And so a Pharisee, like many religious people who live in Jerusalem today, believe it or not, they call it the Jerusalem Syndrome. People go to Jerusalem and literally lose their minds. And there are various religions. There's Judaism, Christianity, Islam. In fact, the city of Jerusalem is... is is laid out in three sections. There's a Christian section, Jewish section, and an Islamic section. There, there are a lot of crazy people on the streets. They move there just to, for the divine. When Jesus lived in Israel, he gained a lot of attention as God intended it to be so. In fact, it's the only thing in the land of Israel where God wants your attention. Because Jesus is the Messiah. Well, he was getting the attention. And unfortunately, a lot of religious people and a lot of, to be fair, a lot of sinners missed his arrival, his life, and his death. And they even missed his resurrection. And they miss it to this day. I have a friend over in Israel who messaged me the other day on Facebook. He's a Christian Palestinian, and he wants our prayers. Oftentimes, the people who began to follow Jesus historically, when Jesus walked the earth, a lot of their descendants are trapped between conflict by lots of people who don't truly believe in Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus at all, a lot of them. And this Pharisee was like one of those. He had a belief in God. But he lacked one thing. It's not enough to believe in the Old Testament. It's not enough to obey the law. He lacked one thing. But he was intrigued enough by Jesus to invite Jesus to his home. To dine with him. That too wasn't enough. It's not enough to be a friend of Jesus. But he went to his home, this Pharisee, and reclined in his home, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. It does not give us her name, it doesn't give us her occupation, it just says she was a sinner. You know, there are a lot of people who have that reputation. They get a reputation for being a sinner. And some people like that. Some people like being a sinner. And they don't want to live any other way. That's the way they like to live. That's their nature. They enjoy sin. The consequences of sin, however, can be long-lasting. And they can be, in fact, permanent. In fact, the reputation from sin can be lifelong and outlive you. It's sort of like the alcoholic who gets drunk and 
he thinks that when his, hang, when his hangover is over, all of his troubles are over. As soon as the hangover is over, all the problems he created when he was drunk compound. That's the way all sin is. It just gets worse and worse and the consequences are worse. And the Bible says that this lady from this city was a sinner. We could speculate on what her sin is or was, but you know what? Let me make that clear, what her sin was. We don't know. I've read commentaries that said, well, this sin, uh, this word refers to this sin or this sin, and it actually, nobody knows. In fact, the same word for sinner right here is the same word that Peter used when he bowed down before Jesus and says, get away from me, I am a sinful man. It's the same word the Bible uses to describe all of us. A sinner. It's okay when you realize you're a sinner. In fact, the, growth, the, the, the worst thing a person can do is live their whole life and refuse to recognize for whatever reason that they are a sinner. Somebody asked, how many sins do you have to commit to be a sinner? One. You're born a sinner. We're all born sinners. Fortunate thing is most of us, if you're like me, most of my sins were unknown to man. Only God saw my heart. But I do remember when I was nine years old, I realized that I needed to be saved. I needed to be saved because I was a sinner. They were having communion over at Enigma Baptist Church. And I went to church there and I loved Jesus like my grandmother Ethel Stone loved Jesus. I loved Jesus like Earl Ellis, the preacher from Nashville, my mother's dad who loved Jesus. I loved Jesus. But a good football uh, player, we played for the little football team in Enigma and his dad was our coach, and we had met together prior to Sunday school like churches used to do. And before going back into Sunday school, they had announced that we were going to have communion that Sunday. And I asked my buddy Chris, I said, Chris, what's communion? He said, it's the Lord's Supper. Okay. He said, but you have to be a Christian. You have to be saved to do that. And for the first time in my life, I realized in my nine-year-old mind, that I was alienated and separated, that I was separated from God, who I actually loved. But oh my God, I don't, I can't take part in communion. I can't have this special service about Jesus because I am a sinner. And at the end of that service, I went forward. I don't remember anything else about that church service, but I remember waiting as I was supposed to do, wait till the end of the service, walk forward, and the preacher went over to the, to the wing and sat down on a pew, and he asked me the very important questions about did I understand what it was to be a sinner. And Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins. And he rose the third day. Did I really believe that? And I did. And I prayed the sinner's prayer, and I became a Christian. That day, facing the pulpit on the right wing of Enigma Baptist Church. 
whoa, what a life to live. The reputation of a sinner. Especially when you get to the point in your life you don't want that reputation when it matters. So sin has a consequence, and we don't want to overlook that. In fact, I think today's problem in today's world is there is no regard for the insult and the, the breaking of the law of God blatantly in the face of God. People have lost all sense of guilt and shame. All sense of condemnation. We don't like to even think of the reality of condemnation. But this lady in the state of her sinfulness, as it was without Jesus, is condemned. She is guilty. And she is sentenced. She is going to face the judgment of God. And people, anyone whose sins have not been forgiven, who has not believed in the one and only Son of God who alone can forgive sin, is condemned already. And everybody condemned to eternal damnation should know that. It's the only fair thing to do to preach the gospel is to preach and proclaim the reality, the truth of condemnation for failing to believe. The wrath of God is being reserved and stored up to be poured out. Yes, God loves the world. Yet God is the judge and God will judge the world. There is no salvation in compassion. There is no salvation in the removal of shame. There is no salvation in the redefining of what sin is. There is no salvation in feeling good about sin. There is salvation only in the forgiveness of Jesus. This lady was called a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Very expensive. In other passages, we find out what that's worth from other people who've done this. So this unknown lady who's called a sinner finds out that Jesus Christ is having a meal in the Pharisee's house and she goes to worship him. And she brings with her an alabaster jar. And listen to this. She began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. 
sounds like she worshipped the way she lived prior to this in kind of an awkward way. But I guess she was true and genuine to who she really is and was and had no shame in it. Folks, this unknown lady goes into the home of a Pharisee and stands behind Jesus and anoints his feet with something extremely expensive. It may have been all that she had. It certainly was a lot of what she had. And the Bible says she wet his feet as she stood behind him with her tears. And maybe she was ashamed. Maybe she felt awkward. Maybe she didn't feel like she was good enough. But she took her own hair, her, the hair from her own head, and wiped his feet, wiping away her tears that literally rained down upon his feet. In fact, the same word for wet his feet with her tears is the exact same word that is the majority of the time in the, in the New Testament used for rain. Rain. She literally rained down tears on his feet. She maybe she was embarrassed. She, she took her hair and would wipe his feet. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus, him, saw this, he said to the, himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know of what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. That she is a sinner. There it is again. Sinner. And here is a good case of flawed judgment. This is where we don't have the right to condemn. But make no mistake, if a person doesn't believe according to John chapter 3, if they don't believe in Jesus, they are already condemned by God. Doesn't matter what someone else thinks or how guilty they make you feel or how good and comfortable they make you feel. Let's recognize the fact that if you're not saved through Jesus, by Jesus, you are in fact condemned by God. It's not a future judgment. Yes, there is a future judgment, but the condemnation is already real. It's just a condemnation and a sentence of eternal damnation that is awaiting to be carried out. He fails to recognize that Jesus is who He is, the Christ, the Messiah. Albeit He's a Pharisee, and he assumes, therefore, that since he doesn't realize that this lady's a sinner, uh, therefore he, he cannot be a prophet. Let me, let me read you a couple verses, two verses prior to this story, and, and, and we'll see why God does not let us do the con condemnation, the condemning of other people. He says here in verse 33 of this same chapter, two verses prior, he says, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. Do you see how the people judge John the Baptist? 
who Jesus said is the Elijah who was to come at the end times? The greatest prophet who ever lived is John the Baptist? The forerunner of the Messiah, the Elijah to come. And they concluded that John the Baptist had a demon. The religious people did. And then look at verse 34. And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then Jesus says, yet wisdom is vindicated by all of her children. We can really be wrong when we judge other people. We can be very wrong when we look in the mirror. If we refuse to acknowledge our own sin and refuse to confess our sin, we reject the forgiveness of God. Well, Jesus, according to verse 40, and he, he perceives this. Jesus answered, this man who says to himself, if, this, if Jesus was a prophet, he would know that this lady who is touching him is a sinner. Well, Jesus who reads the heart and sees the heart and knows everything, he knows everything about this sinner. He knows everything about this Pharisee. He knows everything about you. Nobody knows you like God. But God knows you. Everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever done, everything that is sinful in the eyes of God that you got away with that nobody else knew, the very things that God forgave you of and you have nothing to show for it, nothing to answer for it because God forgave you. You're thankful no one else knew. Amen. But this Pharisee didn't see it that way, of course. So, Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. We know his name. He said, say it, teacher. A money lender had two debtors one owed 500 denarii and another 50, yet they were unable to repay. He graciously forgave them both, so which of them will he will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose that the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged. You have judged correctly. Wow, Simon finally gets a judgment correct. He finally gets his judgment right. But it wasn't in judging himself to be a sinner. It was, wasn't in judging this lady who is called a sinner to be a sinner. It was when he acknowledged that people who have been forgiven the most often love God the most. And that... God likes. God likes that. Amen. You know, I can only imagine if somebody forgave all my debts. How good that would feel. How relieved I would feel. How wonderful that would be to owe no man today. To owe no one. 
But something greater than that, folks, you can, you can have. It's the forgiveness of your sins. I don't care how far they are, how deep they go, how depraved they are, how often you've sinned, who knows about it, whether everybody knew about it or nobody knew about it, but God. Everybody on this earth can be forgiven of their sins. Wiped away, washed away, erased from God's memory, erased from the record of God, completely forgiven. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water to wash my feet. But she has wet rained on my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, she had more sin than she knew she had. She'd done things wrong in the eyes of God that she didn't even know she had done. But whatever she had done, it wasn't enough to get her stoned, apparently. Unless the people who didn't stone her were guilty with her. Whatever was going on, I don't know what her sins were. That's not the point. Jesus says, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Have you been forgiven? Did you know that's the only thing that matters to God in the judgment? And did you know, and I know you know this, I'm preaching to the choir, but did you know that God did everything himself in order that you can be forgiven? And did you know out of that alone, God only wants we who are forgiven to love Him much? Your only obligation to your God and Savior is to love Him. And if you've been forgiven you have every reason to love God. You can love Him from the depths of your heart in your way that God approves of and desires of you. And my friend, that is your worship in truth and in spirit. 
And I'm going to listen. I really want you to get this one. Everybody listen. All you kids, all you students, all of you school students, I want you to hear this real good because grammar matters. And you're, you're listening this morning painfully to one of the, the most southern, Berrien County. I mean, you know, it's, it's just a curse in a sense, you know. I cannot stand to hear myself speak, so don't feel bad. I have no tapes of me preaching. I've preached for over 30 years, and I have no written sermon, and I have zero tapes of me preaching. I don't want it. I don't want it. But I'm going to give you some good old New Testament grammar, and it matters. And thank God it was written in Greek. And that, so it'll never change. You ready? We're going to hear it in English. But it's in verse 48. After all of this, Jesus addresses the lady. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Did you hear that? Don't miss this in this passage. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Wow. Oh my God. What greater miracle from God on this earth. This is better than raising the widow's son from the dead. You know what that matters to you? Nothing. You know what this mattered for the Pharisee? Nothing. You know what this mattered to Judaism and the Mosaic law? Nothing. You know what this mattered to all of her accusers and all of her sins and her guilt? This one thing mattered when he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. And here's the beauty of it. This is in the perfect, indicative, passive, Grammar of New Testament Greek. And what this means is that the ongoing result of the completed action of Jesus' merciful, gracious forgiveness is this woman is forevermore I know for time's sake I'm not going to read it, but I, I would love at least to mention it. You know the story of the rich young ruler. You remember how he came running to Jesus and he fell down and he says, good teacher, and Jesus says, why do you call me good? He too called Jesus a teacher. This Pharisee calls him a teacher. You know, it's not enough to see him as a teacher. He's more than that. 
like he asked his disciples, he said, who do men say that I am? Well, you're a prophet, and you're this, and you're that. And he says, who do you say that I am, Peter? He said, you are the Christ of God. You are the Christ. He says, flesh didn't reveal this to you, but spirit. You remember that rich young ruler comes running up to him? And the Bible says he's not only rich, he's exceedingly rich. You know, I don't really, I know some people that are rich. I mean, they're, they're multi-millionaire rich. But this guy was more than that. He was exceedingly rich. And you know, he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, you know, you know the commandments. And he lists off some commandments. He said, all these things I've done since my youth. And let me say this. If you live a good life, live a good life. There are consequences to sin. And they can be lifelong. I said that from the beginning. There's no reason for that. You can be a good person. And you'll benefit from being a good person. On this earth. And in heaven if you're saved. But you remember what Jesus said to him. He said the one thing you lack. Go sell all of your possessions. And give it to the poor. And come Follow me. You remember what happened to that rich young ruler? You remember his response to Jesus' call? He left, uh, walked away sorrowful because he, was, he had so much. He had excessive wealth. Did you hear what I said? Jesus says, go sell everything you have. And it was like multi-multi-millionaire. And give it to the poor. Come follow me. Did you know that's the same invitation he gave Peter? This rich young ruler could have historically could have become a disciple, an apostle of Jesus. You know, what would we give in exchange for our soul? Jesus said, if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what have you gained? If Jesus... Walk the earth in your lifetime. Was there anything you own that if Jesus came to you and said, Mark, sell everything you have and come with Peter and Andrew and John. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Oh my God. And then Jesus goes into this discourse about being rich and, and it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God than a camel to go through the eye of a needle and on and on. And on and on. Why? Why? Because the one thing he lacked is, is selling and giving everything to the poor. Salvation? No. Is walking behind Jesus salvation? No. What is the one thing he lacked? What is the one thing anybody lacks? To be saved. Forgiveness. And you did nothing to earn it if you have it. Amen. You know what you do to be saved? And this is in closing. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. A lot of people have not been forgiven. And, these, and Jesus, this, this very Jesus, the 
that's going to save in the judgment. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. Good people who call upon his name, who do miracles in his name, depart from me, I never knew you. You know what that means? You weren't forgiven. You weren't forgiven. Folks, you have no debt to pay. You can't live the life to, to earn it. We know that. But we can live with a deep love for God like nothing else because we have been forgiven. I pray that God has said to each of us, I pray that God has said to you, your sins have been forgiven. And last of all, you remember the prayer in the temple where the, where the righteous religious man, self-righteous man was praying? The, he was praying, oh, thank you, God, that I am not like this other worldly man, this sinful man. You remember the old publican, the tax collector? And he beat on his breast and chest. He says, go, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You remember the question Jesus asked? He says, which of those do you suppose left justified? By the way, you know, justified and righteous are the same word. People say we want justice. We want justice. You better, you better be right and ready and forgiven if you want justice, my friend, with God. Because justice is righteousness. And there's none, no righteous, no, not one. And then last of all, do you remember those two people that hung on the cross with Jesus? You remember how they misjudged Jesus again? Not only did they say he's a wine-bibber and a glutton, not only did they accuse him of being a devil and casting out demons in the name of Beelzebul. You remember what else they said about him? They condemned him to the cross and they crucified him. And they says, let his blood be on us and our children. You remember the two thieves that hung next to him on the cross? Do you remember Barabbas who was set free? Do you know the name Barabbas literally means son of the father? The father's son, Barabbas. It was a slap in the face to the son of the father. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. They sentenced him. They demanded he be crucified. And they demanded that the son of the father, the father's son, Barabbas, the insurrectionist, the real guilty one, the murderer, to be set free? Did you know every one of us sitting here today is typically Barabbas? Did you know we were set free, we were excused, we were let go in order that the Son of God who was innocent and perfect was crucified so that we could be forgiven? But those two thieves on the cross are just like you and I. 
We're equally sinners in the eyes of God without his forgiveness. And listen carefully. You, if you go to heaven, you're going to have time eventually to run across this one person. And you may ask this question. Of course, you know everything in heaven, right? But let's just suppose for a moment in our imagination we don't know everything. And we say, well, who are you to be in heaven? Are you the prophet or a disciple or are you a preacher or are you a good godly mother or are you a good young man or who are you? And he says, you know, I was a thief on a cross. I was crucified next to Jesus. I believed in him. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And let's suppose you don't get forgiveness. Let's suppose you're, you're righteous in your own eyes. And you don't, God never says to you, you've been forgiven. And you awaken someday eternally in hell. And you see this person in torment forever. And you say, oh my God, who in the world were you? Were you some evil, bad person? And he says, you know, I was a thief on a cross hanging next to the Savior. And I didn't believe. All I had to have done was what that other thief did. And I'd have been forgiven. And I'd been in heaven today. Folks, we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone who believes, to everyone who is believing, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And I'm going to close with this. Have you been forgiven? Just be honest to God. Have you been forgiven? That's the reason God sent His Son to save you. And church, if this entire church has been forgiven, we ought to walk out of here today like we do every Sunday, the freest, most joyful, happy, loving, Life fulfilled abundantly people on earth. Whew. Well, one thing I did get right in my life, and there's one thing I won't have to worry about, and that's I've been forgiven by God. I've been forgiven. We had communion here not long ago, and I'll never forget uh, one of you was praying, and, he, and the prayer was just so wonderful. It, it just reflected all of our hearts, hopefully. It was like, God, just thank you. Almost in tears, thank you. Dying on that cross, the humility, like that humility of that sinful woman that the world called a sinner, and Jesus said, forgive me. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, we just love you today. We don't love you enough. God, help us to love you more. 
Your love for us is perfection. You gave everything. Nothing we have to give up compares to the price you paid that we could be forgiven of our sins. God, grant us faith to not only believe and be saved, but the faith to deny our lives and ourselves and love you with all of our heart. For we all were a sinner. And for those of us who have believed in your Son, the only way of salvation, we've been forgiven. And we want to thank you today. And we want to give you praise and honor and glory with our lives. Every breath, every moment you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.